Well, good morning. It's a real joy to be here with you this morning um, to worship in your first service one morning. And I'm excited to do it with you guys. So I brought a little show and tell with you. I've been cleaning out my bookshelves, which is very hard for me to do because I love books. But I found this little guy. It's a tiny pink Bible. And I discovered just yesterday that it was given to me on May 12th, so exactly this year or this day, 34 years ago, 1985. And it was given to me when I was dedicated as a baby in church. Isn't it cute? It's pink, and it's got this lovely gold writing on it. At the beginning, there's this picture of Mary, and she's just glowing. And I grew up loving the Bible, believing that the Bible was for everyone, including for girls. The Bible was for girls. And it wasn't until much later, um, as I dove a little bit deeper into this ancient text, and as I began to study it in a, a wider community, that I learned not everyone thinks the Bible is for girls. And, and not only that, but there are parts in the Bible that are really hard to read as a girl or a woman. Parts that I really had to wrestle with. I've always been drawn in particular to the Old Testament because I love a good story. And the Old Testament is full of great stories. But there are some that are so hard for me to read. And as if God knew this, he knew how hard it was going to be for me to get through some parts of the Old Testament, he put, he gave me, and he gave all of us the story of Rahab. The story of Rahab, as we just heard, is a story about a woman saving two spies, two Israeli spies, or Israelite spies. But for me personally, it's also about a woman who in some ways kind of saved the Bible for me. Because when I read the story of Rahab, I'm reminded that my belonging in this story and in the church and in the culture around me, it's not even dependent on how I feel in that culture but it's dependent on my faithful, gracious God who calls me. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you too, whether you are a woman or a man, is that you would be reminded that you are belonging in this family and in the mission of God is rooted in a deeper grace and a wider mission than our culture always makes clear, doesn't always make clear. So we find the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. And if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your device, feel free to turn there, Joshua chapter 2. In this chapter, we find ourselves right at the beginning of Israel's journey into the promised land. God has just given that famous speech right at the beginning of Joshua Um, in which he says, be strong and courageous, Joshua. I have given you this land that I promised to give you. I am a God who keeps his promises. Now go and take it. It's a great start to a story because we have a hero. We have a promise. The flags of Israel are flying. And then we get to chapter 2, verse 1. And suddenly, when more of this dark comedy than a heroic tale. Because let's face it, Joshua sends two of the worst spies ever. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
Joshua sends these guys into the land to spy it out secretly. It's really emphasized that this is a secret mission. And they go straight into the house of a prostitute named Rahab, which didn't seem to be part of the mission. They spend the night there, and before the sun has gone down, he knows what they're up to, and he knows where they are staying. So clearly, subtlety was not one of their gifts. And this is problematic for spies. But these are not the heroes of this story. The hero of this story is a woman, a foreign prostitute, living quite literally on the margins of her city. Her house is in the wall on the edge of the city. Some of your Bibles might translate the word as innkeeper in an attempt to kind of clean Rahab up. But there are lots of clues throughout the text that suggest to us that Rahab wasn't just an innkeeper, that she, like millions of women and men and children in our day, survived by the sale of her own body. Rahab is also a foreigner. Um, She is not part of Israel. She worships foreign gods. And worst of all for Rahab's situation is that she is a Canaanite. And we have just learned in the story that the Canaanites are set apart for total destruction. So Rahab's situation is bleak. Yet it's out of this bleakness that she bursts forth as God's unexpected agent of redemption and grace. And here we see in this story, as we so often do in the Bible, this great reversal of fortunes where God turns human expectations of who should be in power and who should be in leadership and who should be speaking. He turns it on its head. And so we find as Israel clumsily enters the promised land in order to be a blessing to the nations, we find the nation's first blessing, Israel. And not only is Rahab saved from destruction, but she becomes one of Israel's great heroes. In Jewish tradition, in Jewish rabbinic literature, she goes on to marry Joshua himself. In the Christian tradition, we hear of her again in Matthew. Matthew lists her in Jesus' genealogy. She's also mentioned in the book of Hebrews as an example of faith. And she is mentioned in the book of James as an example of faith and works together. So at the very beginning of Israel's walk with God into their promised land, we find a story that is quite scandalous because it seemingly contradicts God's command to utterly destroy the Canaanites. A story that points instead to God's covenant promise to bless all the nations, including a Canaanite woman. A story that honors a vulnerable yet strong young woman of questionable identity. And a story that shows us just how big an invitation is. Last year, I was speaking with a woman who has considerable amount of leadership experience in her field, which is a non-traditional field. So there aren't a lot of men or a lot of women uh, traditionally in leadership where she is. And she said, Julia, I find that women tend to wait for an invitation. Um, We want to feel like we're invited in, like we have permission to enter a space before we step out and do that thing that we feel called to do. 
And the truth is, sometimes that invitation will never come. And so you need to learn to step out anyways when you feel that you're being called. Now, for some people, that's kind of like a pep talk. And they're like, yes, let's go and break the barriers. For me, I would rather quietly dive into some shark-infested waters than go uninvited into a space where I feel that I don't belong. It's hard to step into a space or a role where you feel like you don't belong, especially if you don't see anyone else who looks like you or who sounds like you or who shares your story doing what you are believe, what you are feel that you are called to do. And it's not just true for women. It's it's true for any of us who are called into an area or called forward into something where we feel that we don't belong, where our stories are not represented or our voices are not commonly heard. And sometimes in the church, Mother's Day can be one of those days for women that just seems to highlight how our families, and I should include men in this too, I I don't think it's just women, for women and men that can sometimes highlight where our stories deviate from what is considered the ideal Christian family story. And it can be difficult long in the story that is being told here. The truth is for a thousand different reasons, many of us sit in church and feel completely on the outside of the story, disqualified for some reason or uninvited. But when I read Joshua 2, I am emboldened. I am emboldened because Rahab was not invited. She was not invited by her own people and who sort of relegated her to uh, life on the margins. And she was not invited by Israel. She was caught between these two powers. But Rahab took a risk on the character of Israel's God. In her speech in verses 9 through 12, which form the focal point and the most important part of this story, Rahab uses language that comes straight out of Exodus and Deuteronomy. And this is really important because these are the places where Miriam's battle song that was sung when Israel crossed the Red Sea with Moses. And she uses one of the most powerful covenant words that Israel used to describe their God. She uses the word chesed. And you need lots of phlegm in your throat to say chesed, and I, which I do not have. A gentleman after the first service who spoke Hebrew came up and he was like, okay, let's practice. So I haven't quite got it yet. But here's, it means um, essentially a self-giving loving kindness. We obviously don't have a great English word for that. It's this incredibly big, beautiful word. And so Rahab takes a risk on the God who's characterized by chesed. And she says, surely this chesed God would extend an invitation to her and her family. And he did. I wonder whose invitation you are waiting for this morning. The invitation to step into that thing where you feel God is calling you or nudging you. Or the invitation of our chesed, our loving kindness, God. I am filled with courage or emboldened when I read Joshua chapter 2 because Rahab, like me, was melting in fear. I've read this story in the past and Rahab in my mind is sort of like this 
superhero hero Avengers character who's like slashing through, just falling down Jericho and like taking this stand. But Rahab, when we read her own words, actually includes herself when she says, my people have heard of your God and we are melting in fear. She includes herself in that. She basically says in verse 11, I am the opposite of strong and courageous right now. This is great news for me because nine times out of 10, I am the opposite of strong and courageous when it comes to stepping out and pursuing what God is calling me to. Nine times out of 10, I feel more on the weak and scared, silly side. I'll give you an example. Um, One of the things that I, for a long time, have felt God nudging me to, inviting me into, is to share my writing. I love to write. I'm terrified to share it. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to be published in Faith Today, which was a very big deal for me. But it's before you think that I was super cool to be published in Faith Today, it was actually a 300-word book review. That was it. And um, I read that book in like 24 hours, and then I spent the next six months writing that 300-word review and agonizing over it and sending it to all of my friends and family and saying, but like, what's the feeling you get when you read this? Um, and then midnight of the deadline that this is due, I was sitting there with wide scares as I tried to press send to send this tiny little book review off. And my mom called me on the phone, bless her heart, and she talked me through it and said, Julia, it's just a book review. You can, you can send it. You can do it. It's great. You'll be fine. And I sent it. Praise the Lord. We do not have to feel brave to do brave things. And Rahab is an example of this. Despite her melting in fear heart, she becomes the first person in the book of Joshua to show us what it looks like to be strong and courageous. Whether it is shutting down a comment that is racist or sexist or sharing your story, even though you've never heard a story like you are shared in church before, or simply having the courage to show up on a Sunday morning with your doubts and your pain, you do not have to feel strong and courageous to be strong and courageous. In fact, it is in our vulnerability. And so perhaps you too, like Rahab, are called this morning to take a risk on the character of God. Maybe you've been waiting for an invitation that has never come, but you feel God nudging you or calling you towards something or simply to own your belonging in this community. And maybe the little subtle things that sometimes happen in church communities that make you feel like, I just don't know if I belong here. Maybe they have been wearing down on you to the point where you think, why do I come here? And maybe you simply just don't know that you've got what it takes. You don't feel like you're brave enough to do what it is that God's calling you to do or to own your membership in his family in the way he's calling you to. Well, first of all, you're not alone. And second, you are invited. And third, we need you desperately. Have you ever been in one of those family gatherings where someone starts to tell a story and they start to tell they start to tell a story and you're listening you're like yeah yeah it sounds good and then they start to wrap it up and you're listening you're like oh no this is not where that story ends and they're like and that's how the story went you said no that is not how the story went and you jump in 
to tell your version of the story or how you saw it. And, and you think afterwards, man, if I hadn't walked in on that room, whole family would have heard just part of that story. They would not have heard the full thing. Thank goodness I was able to share my part as well. And everyone in the room gets a bigger version of the story because they've heard two perspectives. Well, without Rahab, only part of the story of God and his mission in this world gets told. As Joshua's spies are bumbling around, it's Rahab who demonstrates to us what it means to be a true member of God's people. Without the story of Rahab, only half the story of God's mission in the world gets told. So in chapter 1, in which we have this speech Um, a bunch of speeches, a bunch of repetition of be strong and courageous, God's promise to give Israel a new land is reaffirmed. We are reminded that God is a faithful covenant keeper. He has promised to give Israel the land, and he will give Israel the land. But if that's where the story stopped, then we would only get part of the picture of God's mission. And it would be a problematic one. It would be a one in which God cool with just taking land from some people and giving it to special chosen ones without caring about the others. But in in chapter 2, which is essential to this book and to our understanding of God's mission, is and we are reminded of the second part of God's covenant, and that is that he is giving is the nations in order to invite all of us into God's family. God is not just for Israel. He is for every man, woman, and child in the world. He's not a killing God. He is a gracious, saving God. And it's this second part, God as a saving God, God as a blessing God, that we are reminded of in Joshua chapter 2 through a woman who is set apart apparently, for destruction. And here's the part that always just blows my mind. God affirms Rahab. So Rahab makes this speech. She makes this speech in which she shows what it looks like to be strong and courageous, to be a true Israelite. She affirms the faithfulness of God. And then she says, so I have reflected, by saving you, spies, I have reflected the character of your God. I have shown you now... I request that you reflect the character of your God to me. You show kindness to me. And God responds to Rahab's bold request in a very special way. Through the spies, he asks her to take action. She's supposed to gather her family together inside a room and tie a scarlet cord, a red rope, outside of her window so that when the Israelites come to destroy Jericho, they will see it and they will spare her family. Now, I want you to picture that in your head for a moment. Does it remind you of anything? Think Old Testament stories. A family set apart, huddled in a room during a time of destruction, and kept safe by a splash of red across the entryway to their house. This is a reenactment of the Passover, a really key, because the Passover, the Exodus story, is 
one of the most important stories in Israel's history, one of the most defining stories in terms of their identity and their God, because it's the moment when God showed himself to them as a, as a saving God, that he was a God that was for people, a God that was a saving God. And now Rahab, through her faith, is invited into that story. And her, gener- her family, her generations to come will be able to say, we too went through a Passover. We too walked through the Exodus. Without this story, we would only hear the first part, the part where a God um, is taking land from some people to give it to others. And that's problematic. It's questionable. But with this story as well, we hear of a God with a much bigger plan. A God whose plan all along has been to invite anyone who turns to him into his family. Without Rahab, we would not have the full story. We wouldn't have a full picture of what God's mission is. And without you and your particular story, we wouldn't have a full picture of what God's gospel is either in this community. Without you, we would only have a part of God's character revealed in us as a community. We need to know the part of the story about how Christ called you. We need the part of the story about how God is walking with you, not just through the good stuff, but also through the messy stuff. And we need the part of the story to, that where the Spirit is alive and at work in you, perhaps in ways that might surprise us or that we have not seen a beautiful mission in this world. This is, of course, a great risk. When you boldly claim your membership in God's family, your role and your call in his mission, things will get messy. They just They just will. Mother Teresa is famous for saying something along, this is not a direct quote, something along the lines of, I know that God can trust me with hard stuff, but I wish he didn't trust me quite so much. As God continues to call you deeper into his mission, deeper into your identity in this body and this family, he will call you to confront the powers in this world that slays to stand especially when those powers are in our own hearts as well. But this isn't a risk that we take on ourselves. And it's not a risk that we take on our community or the culture that we're in. It is a risk that we take on the character of our gracious, covenant-keeping, saving God. And millions of witnesses that have gone before us, including Rahab, would tell us that it's a pretty safe bet to take a risk on the character of our gracious God. The scandal of our God in the flesh, of Jesus Christ, was never who he excluded. It was who he included at his table. That was always the thing that was causing problems. When he called, it was who he called to leadership, who he called to speak, who he called to gather and eat with him that caused such a ruckus in his time. In the Pentecostal tradition where I grew up, 
preachers would often end their sermons with an invitation. They would ask everyone to close their eyes and they wanted to, to give your heart to Jesus. And I want to continue in that tradition, but in a slightly different way. So I'm not going to do, we're not going to do the sinner's prayer and I'm not going to do an altar call. Um, for those of you who are starting to feel a little Baptist and a little bit nervous. Um, but I do want to end with an invitation. And so what I'm going to do is ask you just to close your eyes. And, or, or look at the ground, whatever you do just to be able to focus on what's going on inside. And I'm going to leave a little space of silence and simply ask, invite you to ask, God, what are you inviting me to this morning? And of course, that could look like so many different things. Perhaps he is inviting you just to be, just to let go of something. Um just to be fully you and present in this space. Or maybe he's calling you to something that's going to take a great deal of courage and you're feeling that nudge. Simply ask him what it is that he's inviting you to this morning. Gracious, loving-kindness God, we hold these things before you, trusting that you are a God who invites us in with deeper and wider grace than we could possibly imagine. Lord, I pray for every woman and man and child here that they would know that you, that they would feel your love envelop them this morning. And they would feel courage rise in them as you call them towards yourself. Lord, I pray that you would knit this community together into your story by faith and with your grace and with your power. And Lord, that as each person goes out into the world from this place today, they would feel that they are someone who has been invited in. And so, Lord, we offer this up in the power of your name. Amen.